Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, experts like today, and moms around the world. Happy holidays, everyone. It is the season of giving. Uh, And nobody seems to give more than my guest today, Dr. Victoria Sims. She is a remarkable mother, grandmother, and philanthropist. She practiced clinical psychology for 25 plus years. She has an MA in early childhood development and a PhD from the Graduate Center for Child Development Psychotherapy and training in infant psychiatry. Yeah, she's an expert, everybody. Uh, And you all know how much I love tracking sort of the synchronicity on the podcast, how one episode will sort of feed into the next one because it makes me always feel like I'm on the right path. And last week's episode was with actress Nikki Deloach. I'm actually speaking very quickly right now because I'm about to run to a soul cycle class with her. Nikki Deloach, uh, the episode is called Body Conscious, and she shared her journey with her newborn son's open heart surgery at the Children's Hospital. And her older son is four, Hudson. He plays with Sabrina. And he spent a lot of time at the playground at that hospital. It's called the Sims Man Family Foundation Playground because my guest today built it. Uh, It's a special playground. I'm going to read this because it's so cool. It provides a place of play for both disabled and non-disabled children. It's a universal playground that can accommodate children with wheelchairs, leg braces, crutches, and other barriers that usually leave them sidelined at traditional playgrounds. And the play area features sound and visual stimulation for children with hearing or vision loss. It addresses individual disabilities, but provides a common area that is entertaining for non-disabled children as well. We don't get into this in the podcast today. We get into another project of hers uh, that will help all of us as mothers. But I wanted to shine a light on that just to basically brag about her and say she's an angel. We'll get more into our bio on the show, but I prefer not to just like brag about my guests nonstop in front of their faces. I'd like to spend the time like actually getting information from them. (laughs) So this one's a special one. Stick through to the end. I really, really, really love what she shares about her own life. I've never done this before, but I'm going to quickly share. There's been like a voice in my head lately, and it's not me. I'm going to call her May. And so here's May's mama musings. She, uh... She's not real, <laughs> but she wrote me. This this unreal person, <laughs> this character wrote me, and she wants to share uh, some of this insanity. So here's what she wrote. Dear Atomic Moms, I'm attempting to assemble outfits for our family picture on Wednesday. Oh, how do lifestyle bloggers do it? Do they rent out cooperative family members? I'm trying to coordinate with a dad who only likes one shirt and who keeps threatening to develop a cold sore just to foil my attempts at projecting an image of a Stepford family. I've got a four-year-old who only wants to wear a dress that looks like a swimsuit cover-up that doesn't cover up much. Uh, growth spurt. And this sweet pea who's four months who pukes all over herself every hour on the hour. And don't get me started on me. I just realized I should probably give the dog a bath and get the blackout trash bag taped up master bedroom window repaired. Bee honey is still dripping from the wall, even though the hive was removed months ago. So why, why am I doing this? Because someday I will have dementia and I won't remember how irritated my family is with me. I'll just have the family portrait hanging on my wall at the old folks' home and I'll say, that's, that's my beautiful family. I think, pretty sure. I must have really had it together back then. I mean, look at that photo. I mean, my those children that I think are mine, they don't visit me because... 
Um, the elder one's therapist said I was projecting my own illusions of grandeur and unable to sit with what is, whatever that means, I'll tell you, settling. And the younger one's too busy taking photos that project effortless perfection of her own family now because I did it to her as a child. But these photos, see, they're forever. Memories fail us, but photos last. I mean, look how clean that dog is. All right. Thank you, May. Thank you for writing in on the show. All right, everybody. I am off to Soul Cycle with Nikki Deloche. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Victoria Sims. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I took the podcast on the road today. I'm in Beverly Hills. Uh, I am sitting across from Dr. Victoria Sims. I am going to get her uh, illustrious bio out of the way um, to begin with. She is Cuddle Bright's founder, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. But she's a nationally recognized early child development specialist and philanthropist. She is president and founder of the Sims Man Institute, a nonprofit dedicated to promoting the health and wellness of children, families, and communities. As part of the work of the Institute, Dr. Sims launched Cuddlebright to provide parents with the information they need to help children adapt and become more resilient from infancy through toddlerhood and beyond. So we are talking today about separation anxiety. We are talking about, uh, I want to know about the brain of my four-month-old. Um, I want to know, um, you know, what are things that we can do to help our children that are a little older in terms of separation anxiety with school? And what are the things that we're doing with our newborns um, that might affect their relationship with the world later on? Uh, and I also want to uh, give moms... Uh, you know, some support and a pat on the back that we're not doing it all wrong. Because I think when we start talking about the those first months, we feel so much pressure to do it all right. And that just brings with it so much misery. And so I definitely don't want this conversation to be one of those where we feel like, oh my God, I blew it in the first eight months and now my kid won't, you know, She'll have terrible relationships later in life. <laughs> um, this is about supporting you all and giving some really important information and to also share this really, really wonderful, I'll call it a product, but it's not. It's a book. It's a lovey. It's a tool. Um, it's a whole system for your children. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dr. Sims. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I really am. And the first thing I want to say is no parent can ever be perfect. And the most important piece is to feel relaxed and comfortable enough so that you can connect with your child in a meaningful way. And the beginning is hard when the child is first born. But being able to learn about the child and for the child to be able to learn about you is really important. And they are very aware. I was reading... They're born to connect and they are very aware. They can imitate sticking your tongue out at about nine, nine hours old. Isn't that incredible? And they used to think, I was reading up, I was trying to study for our interview, Dr. Sims. And, uh, I was reading an article in The Atlantic about how 
you know, in the 1950s, they kind of thought newborns were like a blank cabbage. Slides. They were blank slates. <laughs> like so just it doesn't, didn't matter. There. That's right. You could do anything, there. say anything, and they were blank slates. Yeah. But we know the difference now. Neuroscience has proven that babies from birth not only want to connect, but they discriminate. They make, they decide when to turn their head if something is unpleasant for them. So they're little people. And I think it is important that we all know that. And one of the reasons I have become very involved in Zero to Three and very involved in this uh, tool that we have uh, designed is because I think that parenting today is so different. You know, there are two-thirds of parents working, both working, which is very stressful. And it's so stressful sometimes for parents that even being able to say goodbye is hard for them. And they just as soon sneak out of the house than to deal with a tantrum. And we now know, because children do connect, they do know what's going on, that it's really important to have some structure for a child. Very, very important. The structure, the consistency, the predictability, all of that is what can help children from birth all the way on. So I'm not saying don't work, but I'm saying have enough knowledge and understanding so that you can help yourself by helping the child uh, be able to know what to expect. So there should be a routine when you walk out the door. There's one of the things that we've done in the Cuddle Bride, and we call it an experience because it's an experience. That's what it's meant to be. And it's about rituals and routines. It's about bonding. It's about communication. Communication is very important. And it's about building brain architecture for a child. And what helps the infant, the toddler, the five, six-year-old, is the consistency and predictability because then they know what to expect. And when you know what to expect, it takes away some of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, manage, even imagine even for an adult that, you know, if you have a spouse and you don't know what time they're coming home or you don't even know they left the house, you know, you feel a little... Oh, it drives me crazy. Uncomfortable. Like when my husband, <laughs> uh, my, when my husband texts like about to leave, and then it's an hour and a half later, and he still isn't home yet. Yeah, it's stressful, but and just makes me really annoyed because you're like, but I had these expectations. Yes, right. But Whereas imagine it, if you're a year old child, right. and you know you you don't have the, the knowledge and the understanding, mm-hmm. which they don't. They're not sure when the mom or dad will come back. So don't sneak out, everybody. I think that sneaking out is not a good thing. And and we have to remember, separation anxiety is not just about young children. We all have fears, and we all have fear of separation. And in that, young children are just learning how to manage it. And if we want to have our children become adaptable, because the social and emotional is the gateway to cognition even, then there's some small things that we can do, even if we're working, and particularly if we're working, that can help the child stay calm. And when the child's calm, we can feel more calm. But we just have to know that we might have to put up with a little bit of a tantrum when you say goodbye in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the child then knows to trust you. They know that you're not going to sneak out. They know that... When you go, you're going to say goodbye. When you come home, you're going to say hello. 
I love in so okay with Cuddle Bright there is a book to read to your child a matching lovey mm-hmm. um, how many different characters are there there are animals I think there are four there are four. four characters so Sabrina has the puppy <laughs> uh, and um. And Eliza's going to have the teddy because we we have two of them. So there's a book to read to your child. There's an insert in the back where you can put a photo of the two of you. It comes with a red little heart that you can take with you. And then also it has this parenting book. And when I just interrupted you, it was about saying hello. Because when I read that part about the importance of hello, I was like, I missed that. With Sabrina, I mean, I'll do it now. But when she was little, and I, I was always careful to say goodbye, and for her to know. But when I would come home, that is a part of the parenting <laughs> toolkit that I, I didn't have with her. That I will have from now on, and I will also have with my daughter Eliza. Where I would come home, and I would want to put my work away first and get in my comfortable clothes. I try and like sneak upstairs, but she'd see me, mm-hmm. but I would, and that was ignoring her. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that, look, before you walk into the house, if you put your cell phone away, walk around the block if you need to, if you're stressed, yeah. whatever, and come in and give them a big hug. I missed you. You miss me. Sit for a few minutes and then say, mommy needs to go take her clothes off, get comfortable, and maybe even put some toys on the floor while while you're getting undressed or you're doing whatever. But it's just a matter of hello and goodbye. It's important. And I will tell you, it helps build brain structure because children that learn positively what to expect are calmer. Think about an adult. Mm-hmm. If you know what to expect, you know what's happening, you're calmer. And if you talk about a little child, it then helps them. Okay, mommy's going to say hello, but she's going to get dressed and do the other things. That's fine, undressed. That's fine. But it helps build that that brain architecture rather than something negative of sneaking in and out. Right. Because that that then doesn't help the child learn what to expect. And even with the cuddle bright, we designed it in a way. The book is a cuddle before I go. But in the book is all kinds of psychological pieces that one wouldn't maybe understand. It does have the lovey in it, but it's not the lovey here is not just a lovey. It's called a transitional object. It's a transitional object because it's a bridge between the mother or the caregiver, could be the father, and the child. It should have the smell of the mother on it. It should have, it should be included in their play so that the child has it to feel the closeness and their nearness to the mother when the mother's gone. And even with the heart in the book, that was designed particularly for working parents because so many of them, it's so interesting, have said to me, I took the heart on the trip with me and I I called my child when I was away and I picked up the heart, which has intentions on it for the mother, and my child had the book which has a little heart in it too. And my child was so tickled because it was kind of like our two hearts are together even though we're separated. So it gives the child that psychological nearness, feeling of psychological nearness when you're separated. And it reminds them of you. 
which is important in terms of building the psychological understanding that mommy goes away, but mommy comes back. I'd love to ask you a little bit about, it's a new word I learned. (laughs) What? Synchrony. Synchrony, yes. Let's talk about synchrony. That's a good word. Uh, It's a good word, and I can't believe I've never heard it. Everyone, by the way, this is my... This podcast is just my attempt of doing some sort of like psychology 101, like ma- <laughs> master's course for it myself. Because it's an easy word, really. It sounds big. <laughs> so I was uh, watching on YouTube uh, Ruth Feldman's Feldman. talk. Yes, yes. Um, you guys have the Simsman Institute think tank. Yes. And she was speaking about, well, first of all, go ahead and define synchrony for the rest of us. Well, Ruth Feldman is our chair, and she is uh, in Israel. She has uh, done a lot of work on bonding. And what synchrony really is, think of it kind of like a dance. When a baby is first born, you kind of have to figure out how that child is physically, in particular, their personality. Some children are sensitive to light. Some children are sensitive to sound. So the synchrony is... The co, what we call helping the child learn to regulate their little bodies in the beginning. And you mothers all do it just naturally in many ways. You know, the child cries, you pick them up, you try to figure out what's wrong. So synchrony is the back and forth. First, it starts with just understanding the child. And then as the child grows, six months, certainly by six months, there is a back and forth. Uh, attunement, understanding of each other. So you tune in, you know your child isn't comfortable in the light. So when you're feeding them, you take them in a place that's not so light. That's a reciprocal kind of a way of working together as a team. It's a dance. It is a dance. With Does a that li- make sense? Absolutely. You kind of follow each other's steps? Absolutely. With Eliza, it's been so much fun. She's so different from her sister. Yeah. And... It's been really funny to see how she'll get upset. And with Sabrina, she would want to be jiggled a mm-hmm, lot. Mm-hmm. Needed a, it's so funny to think now, all that jiggling now, Sabrina would love to be like in a wrestling camp. Like she loves physical interaction. Mm-hmm. And with her sister, Eliza, when she gets upset, she just wants me to put her down on the ground. So you learned how to attune to her needs. It's such a and fun that's history. <laughs> part, that's part of reciprocal care. Yes. And then gradually, she learns how to do that on her own mm-hmm. because you've helped her learn how to stay calm or calm herself. Mm-hmm. But if you kept jiggling her, yeah. it wouldn't calm her. It would maybe make her more frantic. Exactly. And in this talk, uh, I'll share the link online. I... I laughed because she has this chart up of, you know, how fathers and mothers differ Yes, in synchrony. Mm-hmm. And the mother's wave, so it's let's say it's a wavelength of synchrony. It's like this calm wave. Mm-hmm. And the father is this like up, down, like jagged because it's all this excitement. Mm-hmm. And basically, I'm bringing this up because I need you, Dr. Sims, to tell me that my calm wave is just as important as my husband's oh. uh, wild ride. Because 
I'll just say it. My four-year-old really likes the wild ride. I'm feeling a little underappreciated <laughs> with my way, calm way. That's not un- unusual. <laughs> that's not unusual. You know, there's a certain time when particularly little girls yes. love to be with their daddies. And yes. mothers feel very rejected. It's true. So that's <laughs> just part of the whole normal, normal development. But Ruth Feldman talks about oxytocin. I don't know if you saw that mm-hmm. part. Of, and what is important about that, it's like the love chemical within mm-hmm. our body. What's important about that is that they have found that fathers can bond with their children just like mothers can. And, you know, we never thought that fathers could have that bonding experience in the same way, but they do it differently. They are more roughhouse. They are more bouncy. But viva la difference, because the children, <laughs> in many ways, need and love both. Mm-hmm. But many times, because they're so accustomed to the mother, that the father, particularly two, three, four years old, it's exciting to them to have that other kind of input. And it's healthy for them. So don't take it competitively. Take it, <laughs> take it more that your child's lucky that, that you know, she's, both, she yeah. needs the calm. Yes, she does. But sure. she also needs a little bit of risk taking. Yes. And it's a little bit more risk. Because daddies push them around, move them around. Yes. Okay. It's fun. It is fun. Can we talk about the brain science a little bit? Because on the podcast, I'd say we love to talk about connecting with our children and the importance, and we're always looking at the spiritual side of the connection. Uh, we don't often have the opportunity to speak about the science, like the brain science behind it. Can you share a little bit about, I know that there have been studies done on mothers where they do an MRI, and if if a mother is anxious at the beginning, that her child might be, um, they they do a study on the child, and 10 years down the line, there might be a more anxiety in the child. You know, well, I, well, this is all research, number one. So you said in the beginning you don't want to get parents anxious, and I think that's absolutely <laughs> okay. correct. Uh, this is all research, and what the researchers are saying that has been proven is that early experience does affect one's health, mental and physical health, as an adult. But with that said, they are now doing studies also to find out with with little infants, because some infant, what, what one child thinks is stress, feels as stress, another child doesn't feel as stress. So it's still not totally understood in terms of stress. Extreme stress, toxic stress, does change the whole genetic kind of input that well, the child has. But what toxic stress is for one child may not be for the other child. Okay, so the temperament of the child. The temperament, even in utero, the type of stress or stressor, how the parent handles the stress, how the child is comforted after they're born. There's lots that goes into uh, changing DNA or 
having a child become very anxious because of your early experience. It's not just one thing. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand stress. And when we are under stress as parents or when we're pregnant, to manage it so that we can do the best to make sure that it isn't transferred to our children. But that's all we can do. Does that, am I making sense Absolutely. with that? Because I, I wouldn't want somebody to think, oh, I'm so no, stressed. I'm glad I you're... was so stressed during my pregnancy that I know my right. child's going to be an anxious person. Because that's not always the case at all. It yeah, has to be extreme stress, and it has to be, it depends upon the, the infant, the utero, the in utero, you know, how that child takes it all in, depends upon how the parent manages it, depends upon after the baby's born, lots goes into it. So if you feel you were really stressed during pregnancy, then afterwards, you can try to find ways that you help your child learn to self-soothe and self-calm. In fact, that's kind of what mm-hmm. Cuddlebright's about, self Soothing, self-calming during all kinds of situations because we don't know what's going to happen in life. No, no, and I mean, I, I'm thinking about my girlfriend Nikki Deloach, whose episode we released last week. Her newborn son had open heart surgery, and they spent a month in the hospital. And there were many days. I think it was almost a week where she wasn't allowed to touch him or hold him or even be in the same room because she had. Mm-hmm a preschool cold <laughs> from her older son. And um, and so there's all of these, we would love to parent in a way that uh, reality doesn't let happen. <laughs> like it would be really great if we could just always be with our children, always be really calm and never have an illness. No, or, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> yeah, tell me why. It wouldn't be good because it's not life. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not realistic. Right. And children need to learn how to manage the bumps. There you go. So even your friend that had that surgery, that, whose child had the surgery, that's hard and that's scary and painful. But she can fix, she can make up with it. Oh, for sure. Always remember, mix-ups can be fixed up. We talk about that in the, our parenting guide. There's no perfect. No. And there are bumps in the road. It's how you handle them, how you learn how to adapt. And that's what you want to teach your children. Adaptation. Things that happen to you are unexpected sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, how are we going to manage it? What's our self-talk going to be? That's why we talk in the guide about communication. How do you learn to talk to your child at different ages and stages? It's important. Because that's how they will begin to talk to themselves. With Let's say with daycare, let's mm-hmm. say uh, a mother needs to, or a father needs to leave their child at daycare, let's say 10 or 12 hours a day for mm-hmm. work. And that's a necessity for a lot of parents. What do you suggest they do so that they're able to have that synchrony the other hours of the day? So that they're able to be connected to their child during the other times of the day, and that the child can feel as calm and connected as possible. That is somewhat the reason why we developed this tool, mm-hmm. because that's what it's about doing. The tool, Cuddle Bright Experience, is about having rituals and routines in your life, having a transitional object in your life, which represents to the child the 
parent. This is the first time, uh, you know, loveys are all over the place. And this isn't just a lovey. A lovey is there to be part of the tool. The other part is the heart, where the mother or father holds the heart, which is their transitional object to feel connected to the child. So if you can read a cuddle before I go, even if it's just a page or two, so that you have a ritual routine before you go to work, can be a page or two, two minutes in the same place, at the, the same place, the same book, the child takes the book, the child has the lovey, which has your smell on it, you take the heart, the child knows. Child begins to realize, mommy's gonna remember me through the heart. The heart begins to represent the child. What if I lose the, the heart? <laughs> you buy another one. Okay. They're on, they're on yeah. sale on cuddlebright.com. There you go, there you go. And by the way, the videos that you were talking about, mm-hmm. you can see all of them, I think, on uh, simsmaninstitute.com. Uh, We've got maybe 40 okay. of the latest neuroscience research on that. But if you lose it, get another one. You got the heart, you throw it in your purse, keep it in your purse. And when you get home, you can show the child the heart. Or if you're away, you show the child the heart. Oh, we're like connected. We're connected. We're connected. Even though we're psychologically apart, we're connected. Mommy hasn't forgotten you. Daddy hasn't forgotten you. And then you come home. Hello, I'm home. But you've got the book and you've got the lovey and you've got the heart. And they are all ways of, and they're also a narrative. The little... Cuddle Before I Leave is a narrative. It is a a book telling the child what to expect. And it's playing peekaboo. Mommy goes away, mommy comes back. And as the child gets older, they hold the the lovey up. And they're the ones that disappear. So they're playing at not being there and being there, which is hard for, we call it object constancy in psychology. A child doesn't exactly know when they're little when you'll come back or you will come back, you kind of are, are gone. And this helps them remember and feel connected and learn to self-soothe. So you're gone all those hours, have a ritual, have a routine that you use. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, and now I have a really tacky question. Are you ready for you it? You can ask me anything tacky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When my little Eliza is laying on the ground and really happy with her rattle or in her chair and playing with the little thing that Mm -hmm. spins or looking up at the light and blissed out. Mm -hmm. What (laughs) can I ever be looking at my phone? Or will she look over at me and be like, she's not being attached? Because I don't want to weirdly just sit there and stare at my kid. That's a very big question. Uh, because you can't always be connected to a child like that. No, it'd be creepy or for any them. person. You got to give them a little space. <laughs> That's right. But depending upon the child's age, uh huh. You know, you can say to them, "You're eating," and I don't know that during feeding, I would just leave a child eating no. alone. Right. But there may be that you just say, "Mommy's going to go do this now," and you can get on your phone, sitting next, sitting mm-hmm. next to the child. And put toys or whatever around mm-hmm. the child. She might still have her other things right. that she's going up and down with. But you're alone together. So you're still together. Mm-hmm. And Winnicott writes about this. But you're alone in the sense the child's doing their play and you're doing your thing. I'm doing my play on Instagram. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. Okay. Whatever it is. But you cannot sit there and stare at your child. 
But use language, okay. even for little kids, but simple language. Mommy's going to sit here. You're going to play there. You put a blanket out, whatever, little toys. Mm-hmm. And then read your magazine, read your book. Or do your, or moms are doing their blog or whatever. Whatever, okay. they're do, whatever you're doing. Or, you know, if you're not a working mom, maybe do it during the child's nap time. Mm-hmm. But it is healthy for a child to be in the same room with you, but also to be doing their own thing. That's mm-hmm. fine. I wouldn't do it for an hour, but depending upon the age of the child, you start with 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending upon the age of the child and what's going on. But definitely that time together and alone is important. I'm so blown away by all the work you do. I don't know how there could possibly be enough hours in the day to, I don't know, run this whole show you've got going. I mean, you have, God, it's it's... It's pretty incredible to think about the difference you're making in Los Angeles in so many different areas. I mean, we're talking about, uh, we haven't even had a chance to talk about what you're doing uh, in the field of oncology and all of the work that you do for the Children's Hospital. Um, And now you are helping moms across the world with your cuddle bright, what when you think about your legacy, what do you want your grandchildren to remember? Oh dear. <laughs> well, I believe that I, I think I had told you maybe once before, I was a child of abuse. So I feel extraordinarily grateful to have been able to be successful and to be able to develop into a whole person myself. And with that said, I am uh, always interested in just who I am, in people. And maybe it comes from my own early childhood that was a difficult one. Uh, So with that, I want my grandchildren to become people that can adapt and can manage the world, and to give back, because I think that that's the most wonderful thing in life, is to be reciprocal, and to be able to give and take. And uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a good life, to have good things happen in your life, then I think it's important to try to help other people. And those people will help other people, and that's the way the world should be. So I hope that they uh, see me as a person that has uh, been thoughtful about others, and I, I hope that they will also be able to give back to society. It's an important thing, particularly to nowadays. Yes. Okay, one last question, um, piggybacking off of that. For the mothers out there who also had um, difficult early childhoods or Uh, suffered abuse, what is one thing that you did in your own life to help repair that experience and make it possible for you to have such healthy adult relationships? Well, you know, I don't know that I could say to you right now, I'd have to think about it, that there was one thing. But I think that you have to want You know, I think one of the most important things is that I wanted to be different. And when my children, when I was pregnant, I said to myself, my children are going to have a different 
early childhood than I had. And I made that a goal. Now, I couldn't always stick with that goal because many times you fall into patterns. And that, again, is also (laughs) what I've written. I wrote the guide. And the guide does have a behavioral uh, part to it because we all kind of slip into patterns either the same as our parents or the opposite extreme. And we want to find our own healthy patterns. And so the Cuddlebright Guide has... uh, in it, a behavioral cognitive model to follow. Uh, And I think that's kind of what I did. And I was accepting of the fact, oops, sometimes I made a mistake. Okay, let's do it differently. Well, what other way can I do it? And you experiment with it. And it's a process. I can't say there's one one Mm -hmm. answer. The only one answer would be wanting to make it different. And then it's a process of going backwards and forwards and sideways, and your child will become a part of that process. And that's okay. I love that. I When I say one thing, I'm going to stop saying that in interviews because I mean it as like a just one thing, like one out of many things, and then instead it becomes like one thing, like this. Like, well, it could <laughs> be the, the one, one thing. The one important thing, thing is to want to change, to, want to, to be, change. to understand that one of the biggest problems in raising children is not repeating what, how you were raised. So to really want and work to change that, that's the one thing. Then after that, just know it's a process. Nobody's perfect. In fact, mix-up, fix-up is what we talk about a lot in, in our experience here. Mm-hmm. You mix it up, you can fix it up. I love it. It's, if, what I'm taking from you also is just... Uh, to appreciate the exploratory nature of parenting and also of just being human. And that in what I was saying earlier with Eliza, that she just wants to be put down and left alone for a moment when she's Oh, upset. she should be. That's right. And that, that it's like this crazy science experiment. Okay, well, that doesn't work. How about this? And and to not take it personally no. when it doesn't no. work and no. not to beat yourself up about it. Keep figuring it out. Just we we talk a lot about that. You know, keep figuring it out. Some parents won't understand that their child uh, is sensitive to light. So they have to experiment. And then eventually, right. hopefully, they'll find that out. You know, you don't know. But one of the things I also think is very important uh, is the narrative part, the using words. And one of the things I did in the Cuddle Bright guide is I came up with words. Like one is eyes and ears. So as your little girl gets older and you want to be doing your thing in the same room with her, she might all of a sudden be able to say to you, Mommy, eyes and ears. So it's not critical. But what it's really saying is, Mommy, I want you to look at me and hear me. Or you can say that to them. Because, you know, as kids get to be four or five years old, they may be doing things and you can't get them away from it. And you might say, eyes and ears. So we've come up with really interesting, fun ways. Even mix-up, fix-up is a way for a mom to say, I did a mix-up, fix-up. I wasn't paying attention to you. And I should have been. I'm going to fix it. And next time we go to the park, I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm going to be paying attention to you because that's why we came up to the park. And I find that as children use, as parents use language like that, children will be able to. And it just made me think of like, uh, when you use language like that with your children, then when they get older, because I'm also always talking about 
<laughs> the tribunal of assholes in my head. So when your children, which is basically the critical thoughts, right? And the idea that if we can use this language with our kids, that when they're older, like how much kinder will the language be in their and own heads when, when they're by themselves? It's face saving. It's also face saving. You don't have to be perfect, and it's no. face saving because some kids have trouble saying "I'm sorry." Mm-hmm. So to say "mix up, fix up," because their parents have been doing it when they were children. You know, I've had some. I had one mother call me, and she said, "You know what? My ten-year-old got jealous of of the Cuddlebright experience, and wanted to read the guide with me." And so they read frustration tolerance, and she said it was really interesting because all of a sudden my ten-year-old started to understand what frustration tolerance meant and why I have to sometimes, that some frustration is healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than the fighting mm-hmm. about, oh, you're asking me to do this and I don't want to do that. So language and understanding language can be very helpful to the parent in knowing limits are important and to the child to understanding why they're important. I don't like them, but they're important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Well, thank Sims. you. Thank this you, was you, so much you. fun, and good luck with your children. Oh, thank and <laughs> I don't know why I'm that made me sure laugh. I'm sure it's going to be so much fun. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll have your ups and downs. But remember, ups and downs, yeah. you can fix them. Well, oh my gosh. I'll be right back, everybody. You can learn more about Dr. Victoria Sims' work at simsmaninstitute.org. Also check out cuddlebright.com. And join us on Facebook. Uh, You can just search Atomic Moms Podcast and find our main Facebook page. And then sign up for our private group. Uh, You can find that on the main page. There's a couple questions you answer. And then it's just a great community for our listeners to ask questions Uh, share experiences, and we're having a lot of fun over there. Also, go to Instagram, at Atomic Moms. Uh, I love reading comments from you all. Okay, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm -hmm.